Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Psalms, and we're going to be looking at chapter 8. Psalms chapter 8. Thank you to our students. We are so grateful for you. You guys do a great job of leading us in worship. Well, good morning and happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. We are so very thankful for the godly men that the Lord has placed in this church, men who lead their families well and love their families well. So fathers, we do appreciate you and we honor you today. As many of you know, this past week, Levi and I, as well as RJ and Lori Myers, attended the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention This Wednesday night at 6.30, I plan to give a report to you from the annual meeting and share my thoughts and observations with you, and so would encourage you to attend that if you can. As for this morning, we continue in our sermon series, Summer in the Psalms, in which we are looking at a sampling of 11 psalms between now and the time that school starts back in the fall. Today is sermon number two in which we will look at one of the most beloved and well-known psalms, Psalm 8. So, let's begin with just a little bit of introduction. Bible scholars generally group the psalms, there's 150 of them, into seven general categories. For instance, there are psalms of thanksgiving, there are psalms of wisdom, there are psalms of lament, there are imprecatory psalms in which we pray for God to do damage to our enemies. We'll look at examples of those different categories of psalms as we go through this series. But Psalm chapter 8 is what is known as a praise psalm. It speaks to the royalty and the majesty of God, and in particular, the excellence of God in creation. Psalm 8 was written by the great King David. As one commentator notes, The psalm seems to grow from awe-filled observation of the night sky, an opportunity the young David must have enjoyed on many occasions as a shepherd in the fields. In fact, Spurgeon once called this psalm the psalm of the astronomer. And while that may be true, it's also more than that. Another man has said if Psalm 8 is a psalm for stargazers, it is also a psalm for soul searchers. For in Psalm 8, we find our place as humans in this great, big world that God has created. My prayer is that as we look at this psalm today, that our hearts will be drawn to the God who created both us and the beautiful world around us, that we might give him the praise and the glory that he is due. So let's begin reading. And here's the question as we read that I want us to have in our mind, that I want us to ask of today's text. Where do we see the excellence of God? Where do we see the excellence of God? So let's start by looking at chapter 8 and just the very first part of verse 1. Here's what it says. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. So the first place that we see the excellence of God is in the world around us or in all the earth, as it says there in verse 1. And no human, aside from Jesus, has ever cast his eyes on the full glory of God the Father. 
The Apostle John reminds us in his writings that no one has seen God at any time. Now, one day we will. The Bible says that when we're in heaven, our faith will be sight. But for now, you and I can't see God directly. But one way we do indirectly see him and know him and understand him is through the things that he has made. For instance, when we look at the mountains, we see the majesty of God. When we look at the ocean, we see the vastness of God. When we look at a flower, we see the beauty of God. When we look at the feathers on a songbird, or a maple leaf in the fall, or the elaborate design of a spider web in the morning dew, we see the intricate detail of God. When we look at a giraffe, or an elephant, or an octopus, we see the creativity of God. When we watch those summer thunderstorms roll in, we see the power of God. And sometimes, in animals and in people alike, we see the humor of God. Even though the world has been marred and and scarred by the fall, it's still a wonderful place to live. God is so gracious to mankind to put us in a world like this. And the thing is, everyone gets to enjoy it. The righteous and the wicked alike feel the warmth of the same sun, are refreshed by the same cool rain, and gaze at the same beautiful stars. Theologians call this common grace. It's the grace of God extended to all men, regardless of who they are, what they've done, or what they believe, simply because God is kind and good to all. Isn't that something? Indeed, if we pay attention, we see God's fingerprints everywhere. So much so that Romans 1 says that man is without excuse for not worshiping God because God can be seen and understood by the things that are made. He can be seen and understood by his creation. Pastor Hosey Blue tells the story of a man that he knew, a local man, that lived down on Lake Taney Como, who claimed to be an atheist. And he got in the habit every morning of just taking a walk around the lake. And every morning that he took a walk around the lake, he just enjoyed the beauty of everything around him. And he realized that in his heart, there came a point where he just had this longing to thank someone or something for all this beauty that was around him. And it was at that point in time that he came to realize, my heart longs to thank the one who created this, to thank God. And that man came then to saving faith in Jesus Christ because of that. But that's an example of what Romans 1 says when it says his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. Now, we do need to clarify, we worship the creator and not the creation, correct? God made all things and governs all things, but God is not in all things, We do not worship a rock or a tree and say that those inanimate objects are part of God. They are not. That belief is called pantheism. That is not what the Bible teaches. The rock and the tree were created by him. For certain, they point to him, but God is not in them. 
That's an important distinction, for there have always been those, according to Romans 1, who worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator. It says, who is blessed forever. And we certainly don't want to fall into that error. But at the same time, we cannot help but look at God's magnificent creation and exclaim, what an awesome God we serve. His excellence is everywhere. Amen? All right, let's keep reading, and let's consider now some specific places where God's excellence is on display. And we're going to read verse 1, we're going to skip verse 2 and come back to it, and then verses 3 and 4. So, let's read verse 1 again. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Now, verse 3, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? Here's what I want us to get from these verses. We see the excellence of God in big things. When verse 1 and 3 speak of the heavens, they are speaking first of the sky directly above us, and beyond that, the heavenly bodies that God has placed in outer space, the sun, the moon, the stars. According to Genesis chapter 1, God placed those things there to give light to the earth, and he placed them there to give signs and seasons. Verse 1 says the glory of God is above the heavens. So as we look to the heavens and beyond, we see the glory of God on full display. Indeed, few aspects of creation point to the glory of God more than the sky above us. When we see a beautiful sunrise or a vivid sunset with brilliant colors or a huge full harvest moon or a clear night sky full of stars, these things remind us of God's bigness and our smallness. In verse 4, the psalmist looks to the heavens, and he's compelled from deep within his soul, King David is, to ask this question, Who am I that the God who created all this would be mindful of me? Who am I that the God who hung the stars in the sky and painted the sky above me would visit me, would be concerned with me, would be concerned with my needs. I'm just a little speck in a great big universe. Yet, it's true. And it's good for us to be reminded of that sometimes. But the amazing thing is that the God who created all of that loves you as an individual. You are important to Him. And of course, the ultimate fulfillment of God visiting us came in the person of Jesus Christ. God loves you so much, He gave His only Son to die for you on the cross. Louis Giglio puts it this way, the star breather became the sin bearer. The next time you find yourself looking to the heavens in amazement, whether it be a thunderstorm rolling in or a brilliant sunset or the Big Dipper or a rainbow, Take a moment and thank the one whose glory is in the heavens and thank him for sending his son, Jesus, to be our Savior. Not only do we see the excellence of God in big things like the heavens, but we also see God's excellence in small things as well. I want you now to back up to verse 2 and let's look at that verse together. 
It says, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. And so again, the point here in verse 2 is that we see the excellence of God in small things. How many have heard the phrase, out of the mouths of babes? This is where that phrase comes from. What does that phrase mean? Typically, when we use it, it's in an ironic sense, correct? Usually some kind of scenario where either the adults don't know what to say or they're not saying what needs to be said, and boom, it just comes out of the mouth of a child. Sometimes adults beat around the bush, but kids generally just come out and say what everyone's already thinking. Usually it's really embarrassing to their parents and really funny to everyone else. In fact, I would just say, if you want to know anything about the young families in our church, just go to children's church for a week or two or volunteer in children's Sunday school, and I bet you'll find out more than you ever wanted to know. All right? So, in the context of verse 2, the adults are the ones who should be praising God exactly because of what we've been talking about this morning. Any adult should be able to look at the world around them and see the fingerprints of God all over it. They should be able to see the excellence of God in his creation and thus give him the worship of which he is due. But the psalmist says that the enemies of God don't do that. The implication in verse 2 is that they speak and, and grumble against God. That's why it says that they need to be silenced. But guess who God uses to silence them? Babes and nursing infants. Now, what does that mean? I look at it like this. You could sit down and have a conversation with an ivory tower intellect who drones on and on about why God does not exist and why Christianity is a crutch for the weak and why science supposedly proves that man evolved from apes and all of these things. And maybe that guy could even be pretty convincing. But then you turn over here, you look over here, and you see a mother holding her newborn baby. And you see those perfect little fingers and those perfect little toes, and you think about the miracle of life. And in that moment, you know in your heart, that little baby is no accident. She is not the result of chance. She is not the result of evolutionary processes. That baby was created with a purpose by a loving God. She was knit together, the psalmist later says, in her mother's womb. And in that moment, just looking at that little baby is stronger evidence for the existence of a creator God than all the evidence to the contrary if you piled up every secular textbook in the world. Interestingly, Jesus said this passage was literally fulfilled in his day when the children in the temple were crying out to him, and they were crying, Hosanna to the son of David. And if you remember, the religious leaders became incensed. You can read about this in Matthew chapter 21. And the religious leaders said to Jesus, do you not hear what these little children are saying to you? And they said, make them be quiet. And Jesus basically said, you need to go back and read Psalm chapter 8 again. That's what he told the Pharisees. The spiritual principle here is that we see the excellence of God in small things. So while we see God in the big things, like the heavens above, we see him in the little things too, like young children. 
if we just take the time to look. And this, by the way, is one reason why we must make children a priority in our church. Kids are precious to God. Little image bearers, little crawling, walking, talking, slobbering, real-life testimonies of His goodness. Well, let's continue reading. Speaking of man, let's look at verses 5 through 8. David says, For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. What I want us to see here is that we see the excellence of God in his crowning work, which is mankind. Perhaps no aspect of creation speaks to God's excellence more than man, for mankind alone is created in his image. In spite of our many sins and the countless ways that the human race has disappointed our maker, the fact remains that we bear his resemblance. What an amazing truth. Mankind is literally the crowning work of God's creation. Verse 5 says that God has crowned man with glory and with honor. It does not say that of any other created thing. It doesn't say that about apes. It doesn't say that about dolphins. It doesn't say that about dogs. It definitely does not say that about cats. Humans are special. Humans are special and they are unique. We are the only created being in which God breathed the breath of life into our nostrils according to Genesis chapter 2. Verse 5 goes so far as to say that we in this room are just a little lower than the angels. Something to think about. And get this, one day, according to 1 Corinthians 6, the roles will reverse, and it says we will be the judge of angels. Isn't it astonishing the honor that God has bestowed upon us as human beings made in his image. But with that added honor comes added responsibility. According to verse 6, God has given us dominion over the rest of creation. We also read about this in Genesis chapter 1, verses 28 through 30, a passage that theologians refer to as the dominion mandate meaning that it is our mandate, it is our job collectively as the human race to steward the world that God has placed us in. And so while we reject as Christians the unbiblical, radical claims of environmentalism that humans are on equal footing with animals or that we are to worship the creation or that the future of the world depends entirely on us, we also must acknowledge that we do have a biblical responsibility to take care of the world, to manage it well, to be good stewards of the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, as are mentioned in verses 6 through 8. When Christians are good stewards of the creation, then it shows that we value what God has made. And furthermore, it allows our fellow man to more clearly and vividly see the excellence of God in creation. 
Isn't it amazing that God has entrusted this important work to us? May we bring him glory. May the world see the excellence of the maker in and through our lives and in how we take care of the world around us. Finally, Psalm 8 closes the same way that it began. Verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Can you say that with me? O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Isn't he excellent? Isn't this an amazing world that he's put us in? Isn't he worthy of all glory and all our praise? I'll tell you something else. He's worthy of your very life. Friend, you weren't created for yourself. You were not created to simply chase pleasure. You were created to bring glory to God and enjoy fellowship with Him forever. And until you fulfill the purpose for which you were created, there will always be a hole in your heart. You will always be searching for purpose and meaning in life. One of my favorite quotes from Augustine is this. Augustine said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. The only way to find that rest, the only way to fill that hole, the only way to a relationship with God, the creator of all things, is through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. If you're here today, and you're not a Christian. Perhaps you believe in God. Perhaps you believe that there is a creator, but you don't have a personal relationship with him. We want you to know you can. He cares about you. He loves you as a person. And so we, the body of Christ, implore you. We plead with you today. Come, give your life to Jesus. We've seen today in Psalm chapter 8 that God is excellent in all of his ways. He's good. He's trustworthy. He's love. The same God that created the universe desires a relationship with you. Will you come today and commit your life to him? Let's bow our heads. I'm going to lead us in a closing prayer, and I'm going to ask our musicians to come, and we're going to have a time of response. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Psalm chapter 8, that thousands of years ago, your Holy Spirit inspired King David to write these words. Lord, your excellence is all around us, pointing to you clearly, telling us that there is a God, a good God who loves us, that is worthy of our worship and our praise and worthy of our very life. God, my prayer this morning is that if there is any man or woman, boy or girl in this room who has not acknowledged your lordship and has not committed their life to you and turned from their sin and believed upon you, that they might do that this very day. God, may you have your way during this time of response. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the musicians are going to come.